When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. This is our last episode where we have actual football to talk about for many weeks and many months. This is Antonio Barbera. It's it's time to it's post-Super Bowl week. Time to unpack what the heck happened on Sunday night, and I'm joined. By two of the best in the biz. First of all, on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, leading up to this game, we were eh about the matchup and eh about the teams involved. Coming out of it now, any change on that? Uh, no. Um, football's over and Tom Brady's holding another Super Bowl. So I guess things are starting to heal themselves. The world is healing itself or all that BS you see on Twitter all the time. Because things are returning to normal. Um, we'll get into it. Uh, I'll just I'll park my thoughts here for now. Because so before we get into the show, not nearly as annoyed by it as I thought I would be. I'll just say that. Oh, all right, all right. That's a great start. And then joining on the West Coast, Jace Evans. How you feeling? Uh, Twenty four hours out from what we just watched. Uh, similar to Tim, actually, Antonio, I too am far less annoyed, bothered, uh, irritated by Tom Brady winning another, uh, championship than I anticipated being. Um, I don't want to say I'm zen or super calm about everything, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. I think, the and we'll get into it a little later, but I think the way this game played out probably, at least in part, helped me internalize and come to grips with what was happening, which was Tom Brady winning yet another championship. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it was a weird season. Um, 
one we've never seen in the NFL in our lifetime, certainly. And uh, yet it had a very familiar feeling uh, at the end with Tom Brady winning his fifth Super Bowl MVP. So as Tim said, a return to normalcy of some kind, I suppose. I'm a little disappointed uh, in the two of you. Then, yeah, I uh, wanted some more fire and brimstone. Perhaps. I was, I, I'm very annoyed by Tom Brady <laughs> winning another Super Bowl. I'm just going to attribute it to the fact that I picked the Chiefs to win this game and cover, and my two co-hosts astutely uh, were on Tampa Bay. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just you know let move on and 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 pretend that that's the reason that you guys aren't as angry with with Tom Brady. Just oh gosh, all right. Uh, before we get to that Super Bowl recap, we have a couple of quick sort of small Ravens news and notes to go over, and then we will get into it. So a couple of things we want to discuss here briefly. Um, the Ravens are losing uh, assistant coaches seemingly by the day, uh, which is, I guess, a good problem because it means that they were good coaches and were desired by other teams. Um, one new name brought in is T. Martin, who's going to be the new wide receivers coach. He was uh, a tennis, uh, an assistant coach at Tennessee, and he'll be coming to the Ravens. Patrick Queen finished third in Defensive Rookie of the Year honors with Chase Young sort of dominating the votes, the defensive end from Washington, and then Jeremy Chin, safety from Carolina, going in second, and then Patrick Queen in third, getting all of two votes, but still on the podium for Defensive Rookie of the Year. The Ravens re-signed cornerback Devontae Harris, who was sort of a, a depth guy for the Ravens last season, and is and is going to be a depth guy again next season. Um, so I think he played well enough for, for the Ravens to want to keep him to sort of make sure that they have enough talent at that position. They always One of the Raven mantras is that you can't have enough depth in the secondary, so that's a guy that they liked and, and hung on to. And then there's some a little bit of clarity on Orlando Brown's tweet about being a left tackle that, that we'll get into a little bit here. So, guys, uh, looking at sort of these Ravens news and updates as a whole, uh, maybe what stands out to you the most or, or what got your attention this week? For me, um, I uh, Patrick Queen coming in third uh, was probably the, the the biggest news story I'll say, and uh, I don't know. I'm sure some Ravens fans will take umbrage with that. I Patrick Queen, you know, had some thoughts about it on Twitter himself uh, that he shared, but I, I think it's actually kind of just about right at the end of the day. I don't think he was probably consistent enough to be the defensive player of the year. Um, you know, Chase Young, he had the benefit of being the second overall pick. He also had a very good season, so I was fine with him winning the award. I didn't really think twice about it uh, when he was revealed as the winner. I kind of was just like, that makes sense. And, you know, I think Patrick Queen, bright future. I was pleased, certainly, um, with the large bulk of his season for a rookie year, especially one with such a abnormal uh, off-season camp. But, um there's room to improve. I think we saw that. There was inconsistencies. There was some getting run over at times that I think will hopefully become less as he gets, you know, bulks up a little bit uh, the more time he spends in sort of an NFL uh, kind of strength regiment environment. Um, so I'm sure you would always like to win awards when you're a competitive athlete, but I think third place probably about right for him. He had a good year. Don't think he had, was the best defensive rookie, so... Gives them something to strive for, you know, make a pro ball or, you know, maybe even an all pro team in the future. But uh, if he uses it as fuel, great. 
I mean, yeah, he he led the team in tackles with 106 tackles, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and an interception. Um, we were all elated when Patrick Queen fell to us at 28. And I remember doing the mock draft, and we had to end up with Cesar Ruiz, who, <laughs> in retrospect, we needed a center badly, so that <laughs> might have been a good thing. But I think we were all a little upset that in our mock draft, Queen didn't last to the Ravens pick and were absolutely elated when he did. Um, and look, for me, I like to just think of this as take it as motivation. Patrick Queen, another another Baltimore Raven player who loves social media and loves posting on social media about everything. And he did the little <laughs> like, I'm taking notes. So you know what? Glass half full. Great. If, you, if, if this is what you need to motivate yourself to be better, um, because Chase Young was better than you. But <laughs> look. If you want to construe it in your way, like they always talk about the Michael Jordan mentality, stuff like that, I'm all for it. Um, the only other couple things I have, Devontae Harris, like Jay said, he is a body, and that is it. Or Antonio, I think you said that. Apologies. If he plays as much as he did this season, I think we're in trouble. But, you know, you do need bodies back there, and maybe he grows and develops mm-hmm. after so much playing time uh, this past year. And then the Orlando Brown stuff I thought was interesting. So to, to take some of the quotes here, basically he tweeted out a clarification on the 5th of February, which was Friday before the Super Bowl. Uh, quote, it's never been about the money. I'm so appreciative for this organization and all my teammates. I couldn't thank DaCosta enough. He's an incredible football mind and one of the best men I know. I just want to live out the dream my dad had for me. And it's a, it's a Baltimore Sun article and snips from this article about – if you didn't know, Zeus Sr., uh, the late Zeus Sr., Orlando Brown Sr., played for the Ravens at right tackle and with the Browns and for a bunch of other teams in his career. Um, But he always played right tackle. And the line is, and this comes directly from uh, the current Orlando Brown Jr., the one that's on the Ravens right now, I remember my dad telling my high school coach at DeMatha, if he can't play left tackle, put him on defense. And essentially wanted his son to play. And if they didn't think he was good enough for left tackle, they wanted him to get on the field in some way, shape or form. And that his dad always told him, be better, be better than me. In the NFL, it's usually taken. If you're a left tackle, that means you're probably too good to play right. Um, so I think a lot of this for him and, and complete respect to him. He wants to live out the, his, what his father dreamt for him. And that's being an elite left tackle in this league. And I think he's shown that he can do it. Um, in terms of what this means for next season, I still don't see them trading Orlando Brown. I think he has enough respect for the organization that, like we talked about last week, he'll go. They, they will sit down with him and they'll say, look, give us another year. Let's run this thing back one more time. Ronnie's coming back. We still need a little bit of cover for him anyway if he's not fully healthy yet. Plus, you're the best right tackle in this league. Let's go have some fun and, and maul some dudes. And then go get your money. Um, because if they trade him, I mean, they're trading him for a first. I'm sorry. The guy's a left tackle level player on the right side. You have to get at least a first round pick for him, which I don't see anybody giving a guy who also has to get paid. So I don't think it changes a ton, but I, I do appreciate the clarification of, look, I'm not trying to get my payday early. It's it's wanting to – he thinks this is the best, best path for him. He just came off a left tackle season. He wants to continue doing that. I understand it. I still don't think it's time for the Ravens uh, fan base to panic about not having little Zeus on the right side of the offensive line this year. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Antonio. Well, I was just going to say, I think they'll figure it out because I think, as you said, 
I think he is a left tackle, and he will be paid as such. Um, but I also think, like, it, for the, this upcoming season, you know, if you're a team in need of a left tackle, you're probably a bad team. Um, and so I think it would probably be beneficial for, you know, all involved if, you know, if he's if he's able to play, stick out one more season at right tackle, you're going to compete. You're going to win a lot more than wherever you end up signing in free agency. But he is going to get paid, and he's going to play left tackle. I think that's pretty clear. Um, but I, I, I just think, like, I don't, I guess, you know, it's not my career, I guess, so it's easy to say from the 10,000-foot view. But it doesn't seem like something I would want to rush to play left tackle for a bad team when you have a very real chance to win the Super Bowl next year. So I think eventually they'll all come to an agreement around sort of those ideas of this is a good team, we like you. You've been, like, almost grew up in the organization quite literally, um, you know, with his dad playing here um, on multiple stints. Um, so I think they'll figure something out in the long run. And, uh, yeah, I don't anticipate him being on the team in 2022, but I would be absolutely stunned if he's st- not the right tackle in 2021 for the Ravens. I was just going to put you guys on the spot here somewhat and ask if in this off season, as a hypothetical, a team, say, with a draft pick in the 10 to 20 range offered that first-round pick for Orlando Brown now, would you two, would you take it? Would you take that deal knowing just the number of contracts that the Ravens are going to have to pay and, and where he falls in that uh, hierarchy? As much as, and this is, again, admittedly not knowing the draft board as much, I think anywhere from 10 to 20, for me, it's still a no. Um taking sort of the Rams mentality of I think Orlando Brown, where he's at in his career, if he still wants to play right and is not going to hold out or anything, obviously is more valuable than bringing another rookie into a team that's ready to win a Super Bowl. Um, That's just my initial thought on the spot thought of it is that I'd rather have him for a season and let's run this thing back than another wide receiver that they're obviously going to miss on like i don't know that just doesn't seem that doesn't seem smart for a team that wants to win the super bowl next year so for me no i'm keeping him regardless and saying that fully confident that he's not going to be a raven long term because like you said of everybody they have to pay well that's why i'd at least consider it because i think if you can get any value for him if you pretty much from these comments and just knowing what he wants in his career and what you've already done um, with Ronnie Stanley invested, you know, six overall pick in him, $90 million or whatever it is for him to play left tackle. You know, Orlando Brown is not in your, your, your left tackle plans. And if he obviously doesn't want to play right tackle long-term, I think you have to at least consider getting something in return for him. Cause otherwise he is just going to walk in a year that being said, I agree with you, Tim. It really does hurt your 2021, I think, championship prospects to just downgrade so severely at tackle, at right tackle. I mean, we saw what <laughs> moving Orlando Brown from right tackle to left tackle did to the right tackle position this past season, uh, which was, it was not great. Um, so, yeah, in that respect, I th- I guess it depends how, how, how long-term they want to look. And they might be thinking long-term because if you plan to have Lamar Jackson, you know, for another 10 years at least, 
Uh, you you might say let's get that first round pick because we want to run this back and be competitive year in year out. It's fascinating, and that's why I'm glad I'm not the one uh, paid to make these decisions because it is a hard decision. The depth point of that, Jace, is so great because that's what they were comfortable doing with Hayden Hurst. They were very comfortable to move on from him, get whatever draft pick they could because they had depth at that position, and he wasn't even the best tight end on the roster. When you look at how bad the depth is on this offensive line. As Tim noted, that value of, of Orlando Brown for one season is, is is enormous. If Even if you got a top pick for him and even drafted well, you still have a lot of other work to do on that offensive line to make it playoff-worthy, much less Super Bowl-worthy. So just, I'm just curious. I want to throw that out there. We have uh, certainly lots of weeks and months in the offseason to see how, how they move on with that. So that's it for Ravens news. We're going to do uh, the Random Raven now quickly, and then... Talk about uh, the, the Super Bowl. That was Sunday night. I am up this week for the Random Raven. I have already told the guys that they're not going to like me with the one that I've chosen <laughs> here. Uh, I tried to give them some some leeway so that they don't yell at me over the over the airwaves. So here is the Random Raven. It's Super Bowl. Well, post-Super Bowl week, so I made it Super Bowl themed. And this Random Raven played for the team for, you guessed it, one season. God. The 2000 2001 Super Bowl winning season for the Ravens. He played nine seasons previously with the New England Patriots and retired after the Ravens season. He is in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame, which is sort of the Ravens ring of honor. It's the New England Patriots Hall of Fame and is a five-time Pro Bowler and two-time All-Pro. Now, for the Ravens in that one season... He had nine catches for 84 yards. I mean, every time it's a receiver or a tight end. He played, he played in all 16 games, and he started nine, which was downright shocking to me. It's also very enjoyable that this player started nine games and had nine catches for the season. But that's, you know, that's Ravens football of old is what that is. He was a backup for the Ravens and played behind an eventual Hall of Famer. That's that's the that's the clue for the listener there, um, and I'm going to save my last clue for the end of the show because I think that's will sort of narrow down who who it is. So I'm going to leave it there, and at the end I'll add this final clue to the random Raven description. So I'm getting all I don't know what's going on with my with my co-host. <laughs> some I I think I actually do have it. Uh, I think. <laughs> I mean is... I know I know the position because I know the. You know what? Spoiler alert. It's not going to be a future Hall of Famer at wide receiver, listener, because it's the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens. Um, let's just put it that way. I'll give you that little tip. Um, but after that, yeah, I have, I have no clue. I know who that Hall of Famer is that you're talking about. And I'm trying to think, who played that position for the Super Oh, yeah, it was that. Oh, nope, that's the clue. Okay, so it's not this guy. Who in the... Yeah, I have no idea. So, yeah. Long story short, I have no idea. <laughs> All right, we will answer that at the end of the show. But first, let's talk about Bucks Chiefs 31 to 9, a Buccaneers dominating performance over unarguably the best team in the NFL this season, the best team in the NFL last season, and they certainly did not look that strong in the Super Bowl scoring 9 points, which still seems impossible to me uh looking at these numbers the day after the Super Bowl. So, 
guys, just first impressions watching this game, you know, without getting too much into nuts and bolts here. Um, thoughts on on this result? Uh, the Bucks defense, as I've been telling you all year on this podcast, is awesome. Run through it. Vita Vea, Indama Kinsu, Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, Devin White, uh, Levante David, Antoine Whitfield Jr., fourth in Rookie of the Year voting, by the way. This team on the defensive side is awesome, and Todd Bowles is a fantastic coach. It made one of the best uh, – and I, well, I'll just go general here because I think we should all give general thoughts before diving in because I got numbers, I got stats, I got things I want to complain about, a.k.a. Devin White not winning MVP – what Todd Bowles did in terms of kind of changing what he does but still having that defense do what it does well, and that is pressure the quarterback mainly, but changing his scheme to do that was so incredibly impressive, and it made the Chiefs look like a high school team. And I think there's a lot to get into here. I think the importance of the offense and defensive line if you listen to this podcast, you know that's my thoughts on this game. It comes down to the offense and defensive line, and that's what it did on Sunday, and that's why Tampa is a Super Bowl champion and not Kansas City. I wasn't stunned to see the Bucks win. I had a feeling they were going to for, on you know, I didn't have great reasons last week, but I just it felt like for me, I was like, is Tom Brady going to lose the same team twice, especially in the Super Bowl in one year? I didn't see it happening, but... I think if you had told me the Bucks blow out the Chiefs and the Chiefs don't score a touchdown, that was not on my radar <laughs> as how this game would go. I thought it would be close. I thought, you know, the Bucks would score like a last-minute TD or something. But they were in control pretty much, you know, the moment they get that first Gronkowski touchdown. From then on, the Bucks really were in control the entire time and chiefs never threatened them, especially in the second half. Um, I was just really impressed. Yeah. It was a, a thoroughly dominating performance. As Tim said, both lines, I thought bucks, I thought ran the ball pretty well. Um, they kept Brady pretty clean, all things considered. And, uh, and I mean, they got after Mahomes. That was that, that's to me, the biggest takeaway was just, I never saw a world, where the Chiefs scored nine points in the Super Bowl and no touchdowns. Uh, it's just stunning to me. We've seen the outline for how to beat the Chiefs. We've read the stories of what you need to do well. And the Bucks did everything well in this game. Not three-quarters of the list, not half of the list, not everything, but one thing. Just you run through the checklist. They ran the ball well. They tackled everyone quickly, and they were not a lot of broken tackles for the Chiefs. They were able to double, not only try to double Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, but they actually had them pretty much sandwiched the entire game. And they still had catches, they still had yards, um, but but some of that came, you know, in the second half of that game, some of the garbage time stats, but they were never sort of a, a they never made game-breaking plays, basically, for all 60 minutes. They got immediate pr- pressure on Mahomes on Almost every down. I rewatched the highlights before, uh, sort of the extended highlights before jumping on this pod, and it was shocking. I, I think we texted at a certain point that it felt a little bit like a Ravens game when Lamar is running for his life on on every play. Except Mahomes, 
yes, he scrambles, but he doesn't have the sort of like breaking away speed and the and the ankle breaking uh, juke move. So he literally running for his life um, with the chief, with the Bucks only having to rush four. The Bucks did not make a mistake really all game, and the one mistake that they did make was then taken away from the Chiefs with a penalty that we'll get into at some point. They won time of possession. They had more time of possession than the Bucks did, or than the Chiefs did, excuse me. And they would have had another touchdown, but they truly got stopped on the one-inch line where he, he may have gotten in on that play. Nah, maybe, maybe it was a touchdown, but this could have been a game that was 40-9 to nine, as opposed to 30, you know, 38-9 instead of 31-9. to nine. So we have, if you're a Ravens fan listening to this, you have the... Uh, you have the tape now. This is what you need to do to beat these Chiefs. But it wasn't a close game, as Jace mentioned. It was an absolute blowout. Let's start with the Bucks defense now, guys. Tim, I'll let you take this one because you've been uh, you, you have you have been talking about Bucks D for for months, um, and they absolutely came to play, especially on the line. We thought maybe the Chiefs could patch things together with their offensive line. Other teams have done it. You know, you think. Having a tackle out, you can sort of work things out by maybe move, moving the right tackle or, or having a young guy who hasn't had a lot of opportunities fill into one of these spots. But very, very early in this game, you could see that whatever the Chiefs had tried to do on the offensive line was just not going to work. I mean, it was telling when, and wasn't for the recording of the last podcast we did because it came after, but JPP was asked about the right tackle, and apologies, I can't remember the guy's name, who stepped in. Uh, for Kansas City, and they asked him about him because they're like, you've played this guy before, what do you think about him? And JPP goes, I don't remember him, but I'm coming after him, basically. <laughs> and at that point, we should have been like, okay, these guys are going to just absolutely dominate. I I just want to talk about the defense. I literally might get up while you guys talk about Tom Brady and the offense because I don't <laughs> really care. And I think for me, that is why this Super Bowl didn't annoy me as much. One, it's not Brady making some miraculous comeback. Two, the penalties, which we will get into, didn't really affect the game as much as people, you know, grasping at straws might want to say it that they did. They didn't. And three, it was the defense that won this game. Todd Bowles, a guy who loves sending the house, he's from the Wink Martindale School of Defense, flipped his game plan. The Buccaneers only blitzed. Remember, listener, you watch this game. Remember how many times Patrick Mahomes was being pressured? A Super Bowl record. 29 times he had 497 scramble yards <laughs> 497 scramble that is five football fields of scramble yards as he was running for his life either you know getting out of the pocket gaining positive yardage or running around before being sacked or making these miraculous incompletions that the inter- internet wants to lose its mind over even though they are incompletions um the, the bucks only blitzed 9.6 percent of the time even with all of that, on their four-man rushes, they had 16 pressures. Basically, 34% of the time, they were pressuring the quarterback with four guys. Insane numbers there. Absolutely insane. And here's what you do. When you can get immediate pressure like that, it allows your defense to sit back. They sat back, and they had two deep safeties the entire game. They played 10 snaps and dime, which is six defensive backs if I've got my numbers right there, which they, that is more than they played all regular season long combined. They were able to sit back and allow to keep everything in front of them. And by the way, the other thing they had in front of them in terms of the secondary, 
was Devin White and Levante David. You talk about doubling Kelsey. There are some plays there, and as analyst Hump, Marlon Humphrey on Twitter pointed out, which always a great follow, not just for a Ravens fan, but just in general mischief and daily life. He was saying that Levante David might have been the best player out there that wasn't named Devin White because he was containing Kelsey himself. He was doing what Tony Romo was screaming for in the AFC Championship game. He was hitting Kelsey. He wasn't letting Kelsey get clean breaks, and they had the athleticism to keep up with him. Devin White was all over the field, man. He looked like... The way I I was talking to somebody else, he reminded me of Ray Lewis in that Super Bowl 35 game when Ray had the one play where he's on the right side of the field, Tiki Barber runs left, and Ray makes it all the way over and stops him for a two-yard gain. I don't know why that play just always sticks in my head amongst all the other great plays he had in his career, but that's what Devin White reminds me of, and he's faster because the game is faster, and he needs to be a better pass coverage guy than anybody like Ray was, but that's who it looks like in the back or in the linebacking core there. It was absolutely insane. And and the way these guys stepped up, I mean Vita Vea, who is like, I don't know what, six hundred and fifty pounds at this point, was playing defensive end and getting pressure. They that was a mean, mean defensive performance. They went in there, they were pissed off about the loss last time. I love Antoine Winfield Jr. taking the taunting penalty for doing the deuces to Tyreek Hill after Tyreek Hill backflipped into the end zone the last time that they played. They were pissed off, and they came with a perfect game plan for it. And man, again, this is why I wasn't upset about Tom Brady lifting it. Because guess what? Triple zeros hit the clock. I turned it off. I didn't have to watch the trophy celebration because I wasn't going to subject myself to that. All all I'm going to remember from this Super Bowl is the Buccaneers dominating defense, and it was just so cool to watch. I was so impressed with Todd Bowles, um, and I think you. The the more we get uh, out from it, you know, I think it's safe to say he probably deserves another head coaching chance, uh, given how just he probably is one of the top assisted coaches out there in the NFL. And you look back, guy went ten and six with the Jets. That's like basically winning the Super Bowl as it is. But he he was just so everything. So they just got so torched by Tyreek Hill, right, in that first game they played earlier this season. And to just basically go back to the drawing board and devise this plan that just holds them, especially Hill, completely under wraps for the most part. He had 73 yards. He only, you know, broke a few plays here and there, but nothing crazy. Um, They didn't let Tyreek Hill uh, hurt them, and... As Tim, you mentioned, just the going with the more dime looks, uh, the different looks. I was just so impressed with that. And obviously a big reason why that worked is because of how much pressure they were able to get, especially just with four. And I don't know how many years I have to watch, uh, you know, uh, one team just completely dominate with a four-man rush. The Denver Broncos come to mind in Super Bowl 50 a few years back. Uh, obviously those Patriots, uh, upsets against the Giants when the Giants were able to pressure with four, it is just so clear that how important it is to be able to pressure with four, five guys max is to winning, like to help win a championship. It just opens up so much for you. And I'll at least speak for me personally to spit it briefly to a Ravens perspective. It did make me consider if the Ravens have to really 
think harder about pass rush than maybe, you know, I would have thought heading into this season. You know, they make the midseason move for Yannick Ngakwe. Doesn't really work out. But you just watch this game and just Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, and you mentioned him, Vita Vea and Dominic Su getting pressure up the middle. There was one time I thought, you know, Vea was going to, like, eat Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they... Uh, they hit him. I mean, twenty nine hurries is crazy. They, I believe, they hit him nine times. He was just, he was just under siege all night. And uh, being able to do that while not uh, ten quarterback hits, the Bucks were credited with, and being able to do that just without even having to send the house all that much, uh, less than ten percent of the time. That just, it's just such an advantage, and especially we see on these big stages in the Super Bowl. Especially, it seems like the best defenses end up being the ones that can rush for. And that kind of solves a lot of your problems on the back end. Cause it's like, if you can disrupt them with four, that's just so many bodies to cover in the backside. And that's clearly what helped them in this game and slowing down your Tyreek Hills, your Travis Kelsey's. And obviously you mentioned those linebackers are oh. probably the best tandem in the NFL, David. And I mean, De- I love Devin white coming out of LSU, but I didn't, I didn't even know if he'd be this good, but well, there's a reason, Jace, that he's a middle linebacker going top ten, right, or even top <laughs> yeah. five, right? He might have gone. Yeah, I think four. it was the fifth remember. overall pick, maybe the sixth. But uh, I, they're so talented. And Vea was a top ten pick, I think, at least top fifteen. Uh, obviously, Sue was like a third overall pick once upon a time. Jason Pierre-Paul, first round pick. So it's a lot of talent up front. Um, but I mean, they were just impressive, and I. It made me a little jealous because I was like, I want that for the Ravens. I want, I want pressure with four. It's just such a luxury. And the Chiefs had this streak of games, mostly playoff games, where they had fallen behind. The offense had looked ugly for quarters or for stretches, specifically early in the game. And then in all and every single one of those playoff games, they had turned it on at some point in the game. And the big plays came, and the touchdowns came, and everything was fine, and Mahomes was Mahomes, and the Chiefs came out with wins. I sort of, I remember at halftime, I sort of uh, unplugged, I had to go outside and smoke a cigarette, which is a joke, I don't actually smoke cigarettes, but I was so annoyed at the end of the first half, so I literally went outside, and in the back of my head, I just remember, I said, oh, like, listen, it's the Chiefs, this is what happens, the big plays are going to come, the, the offense will explode in the second half, and it just never happened in this game even when it's a a, I mean I don't want to say blowout but even when it's a 20 point game and the Bucks defensive strategy changed slightly and that now they're just keeping everything in front of them even with that the Chiefs were not able to score a touchdown in the second half of this game Um, so I, I want to get your guys thought on that particular aspect of the Chiefs at what point in this game, did you think, oh my goodness, like this is, they're out of bullets, basically. Like the, the explosion is not going to come in this game. For, for me, it was they, when they settled for the field goal out of halftime. Um, so, and we'll probably get in, I'm sure, momentarily to the before half shenanigans that resulted in the score being 21 6. Uh, I wasn't feeling great at that point. I would have been a lot better at 14 6. As, you know, kind of a neutral observer thinking if the Chiefs would win. Or even, you know, I think 17-6 you can... But 21-6 was steep, but I was like, all right. You know, they get the ball out of the half. They can do something with it. And they go seven plays, 47 yards, but they have to settle um, for a field goal. uh, 52-yard field goal at that. So they didn't get especially close. And then... um, 
the Bucks just responded six plays, 74 yards, and that Leonard Fournette touchdown run where I was like, well, someone's got to tackle him, and he just kind of kept running, and you're like, oh. I don't want to say it looked like they gave up, but, like, they did look a little demoralized after that Fournette run. And at 28-6, I was like, Tom Brady's not pulling a Falcons here. Like, they're not blowing. They're not blowing. Or uh, it was 28-9, I guess, at that point. But, um, yeah, at that point, to to go up 28-9, that was kind of when I was like, I don't, I don't think it's happening. Um, I, I just thought the deficit was too great. The Bucks. um or the Chiefs, rather, had just not enough answers, and I just didn't, you know. I have a lot more faith in Tom Brady not blowing a, you know, however, nearly 20-point, 30-point lead there. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it was game over, but kind of felt game over. And just how how much of a struggle it had been for the Chiefs to that point. To come away, at, that, fir- that first drive out of halftime without a touchdown, I think, was kind of for me, where I was like, ah, oh, this might not be happening. Yeah, that's it's 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 interesting. I don't I don't really know. I don't remember sitting back watching the game on Sunday night and having a definitive moment of like oh, this this is the time. I think it was almost it was probably around the same time as Jace, you know, the the kicking the field goal and everybody doing the whole like oh, can't win the game with field goals joke that, you know, the Bills obviously got slammed for and um, the, the Packers earlier in this playoffs, everybody's getting slammed for trying to kick field goals in a game that they have to win. I thought, I guess around then, because for me it was more of the emphasis on the point that Jace made of the air of inevitability with Tom Brady. Like the, the Thanos quality of Tom Brady that is like, oh yeah, right, of course it's 21-9. And they had some BS pass interference calls to get them right down on the line okay of, of course this is how this is going to happen sure why not um and again like i said for two weeks leading up to this game i was almost tuned out when the bucks were on offense um i think the only reason i actually did watch the bucks on offense was one so i didn't miss any of the defense by <laughs> by turning it off and turning it back on too late and two because i do this podcast and i'm a professional um but yeah, it had to be around that halftime point because uh, I, I was with you, Antonio. Like, you kept seeing them get dominated. The Kansas City Chiefs get dominated on the line, and and the defense flying, the Tampa Bay defense flying around, and yet you still had this whole like, oh, Mahomes will be fine. Like Mahomes will figure it out. He's Mahomes. 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 I will say, I think Mahomes was definitely playing a lot more hurt than we thought. He's obviously, if you haven't heard the news, having surgery on his toe. You know, people, other athletes have made fun of him for, like, doing the little duck waddle run. Like, don't be fooled by that. He'll be fine, which I think is a funny tactic. But he definitely seemed like he was a little bit out of sorts. And then, compounding that with the, you know, the seven-minute rant I just went on about how good the defense was, too. I think all those factors combined into him being, you know, average at best and obviously not being helped by anybody. But, yeah, long, long story short, I guess it was probably halftime where I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be a Tom Brady game, isn't it? And then the field goal and then the touchdown for the the Buccaneers right after that, which makes it 28-9. At that point, I'm like, all right, well, might as well, like, just scroll Twitter now and watch the end of this game go out because this is over. So let's go back to the first half then. Um, Tampa Bay has three touchdown drives in this game. All three of them have a Chiefs penalty in them. 
Some of them were penalties. I'm not going to complain this uh, sort of this fervently that, that, as Tim mentioned, the Chiefs didn't lose this game because of penalties. The Chiefs lost this game because they got dominated and, at multiple positions. However, uh, in all three of these possessions, I think there were some ticky-tack calls and maybe calls that you don't normally make in the Super Bowl when guys are just sort of hand-fighting, but they made every single one of these calls and it seemed like every single one of these ticky-tack calls went against the Chiefs and went for Tampa Bay. Um, the the On the second Bucks touchdown drive, that's where there's the double tip that Teron Matthew intercepts. They call a holding where, to me, it looked like Mike Evans was hand-fighting exactly as much as the defender who was guarding him on that play. I don't know how you call that flag on one specific player, then on the last drive of the first half, where the Bucks are able to go 71 yards in less than a minute, the other pass interference on Mike Evans, where, again, we have seen a corner when he gets tripped by the heel of the offensive player. They do not call pass interference because they consider it incidental contact. They let him play. The ball lands seven yards beyond Mike Evans, and they don't throw a flag. In a lot of situations, they did throw the flag in that particular moment. Then, later on that same drive, with a throw to the end zone that I'm pretty sure would have hit the crossbar because it was so high, or maybe even one of the uprights because it was so high, that ball's through the end zone. That's the Brady throw where he just doesn't want to get sacked, so he throws it at one of his receivers, and if it's 10 yards over his head, whatever, it's not intentional grounding, they get another down. They call pass interference on that. It's not catchable. It's not a catchable ball. But they don't review that, they don't talk about it, they don't consider it. It's a fl- you know, flag on the Chiefs, and the Bucks have the ball on the one-yard line. I'm going to stop myself, because I don't want to turn this into a penalty rant. But, in a game where every single play matters, it's a Super Bowl, every mistake can, can you know, certainly hamper your, your chances by really wide margins. I'll just get your guys' thoughts on the first-half penalty decisions based on what the game was and how much football the three of us have watched and, and how penalties are called in the NFL. Yeah, look, we said earlier they didn't affect the game. Doesn't mean these calls weren't complete and utter BS. I mean, they absolutely were. And to take our lovely segment that reoccurs every so often, what's bothering? This time it's Tim. Take uncatchable out of the rule. Just do it. Just admit that you're too much of a coward to, like, not give anything to the defense at any time. These, these guys are already playing with two hands tied behind their back, and yet Tom Brady can launch it to New Guinea, and you can still call the penalty because it's like, oh, Mike Evans is really tall. He might have come down with it. It is a family show, and it's taking everything in my power not to just cuss up a storm during this part because it's the most infuriating part of pass interference, which I think is a load of BS anyway most of the time. And hand up being more of a defensive guy than an offensive guy to hamper these defensive players who are already having an incredibly tough job because everything favors the offense and then you have it written in your rule that uncatchable means it's not pass interference yet you it hasn't been called since the 50s it just (laughs) makes absolutely no sense that they that they have it in the rule just take it out just take it out and we can stop complaining we can disagree with it and think it should be in there but if you just want points, 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 fine. I re-sign Joe Flacco at that point. Have him launch it out of the stadium, and hopefully they tackle Torrey Smith every once in a while. And we're moving, baby. We're moving the ball down the field. It's utterly freaking 
ridiculous, that uncatchable stop. And the only other thing here on the penalties, they knew going in that Carl Cheffers, who we get the best, it's not just one referee crew, we picked the best referees of, of from everywhere. And it should say, really cool the history was made with Sarah Thomas being the first female referee in a Super Bowl. That's great. No one is disputing that. But find a head guy and and line judges too. I would rather them not go whatever freaking point scale they do to pick who's in the Super Bowl that year. Find me the guy that lets them play. The guy or gal, I should say. Find me the referee who lets them play. Not the ticky-tack ref who, if like, if you averaged, if you averaged more than seven flags a game, you should not be allowed to ref a Super Bowl. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't care if you're, you know, if you're refing Ravens games all the time and it's one of those Matt Judon games and he's... Liable for three of them anyway. I don't care. If you throw more than seven flags per game, you should not be in the Super Bowl, probably not even in the postseason, because you can't... The fact that it's subjective anyway is an absolute joke. And then you allow these guys who just want to be on television and just want to throw tic-tac calls for every little thing so they can turn on their little microphone and go, look, Mommy, I was on TV. It is so freaking ridiculous, and I can't, I can't stand it. Like... I don't care how good Carl Sheffers is as a referee. Man, he sees holding really well. Like, I I don't care. Give me a guy that's going to let people play because I think every every football fan would rather some of these calls get missed than an overcorrection where they're calling the slightest stuff every single time because it it just – it takes the fun out of the game. I I think that's what's – crazy and one of my colleagues mike freeman actually wrote a a a column kind of to this effect but i i think the 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 main problem and i completely agree with him in this uh case is just and you mentioned it tim just the inconsistency crew to crew ref to ref there's no standard in the nfl as to what is or isn't a penalty i just looked it up there were six penalties called uh the nfc championship game last week the bucks or uh two weeks ago the bucks last game uh, six total penalties, um, and we saw so many more flags in the Super Bowl. Like in that game, they were letting guys kind of clobber each other and just kind of play, and they didn't call many flags until late. Um, but in this game, there was just flag after flag after flag, and you know the the numbers are stunning. I again, no conspiracy here, but the Bucks picked up a Super Bowl record six first downs via penalty. And also the Chiefs' uh, 90 yards of penalties in the second quarter, also a Super Bowl record. I, I just, you know, I again, I don't think there's a conspiracy there. I think most of the penalties probably, you know, under the letter of the law were penalties, probably, uh, for the most part. But, um, yeah, it's just never knowing what you're going to get crew to crew. Um, and for me, obviously, personally, I, I don't... I don't want to see the refs this involved, especially in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, that many first downs via penalties, just disappointing to see. I don't think it was, I don't, I don't think the NFL has a vested interest in getting 43 year old Tom Brady, another Super Bowl over, uh, Patrick Mahomes, who's going to be the face of your league for, uh, the next 15 years. But, uh, I do think there's just inconsistency on the officiating level. That is not great. Also, uh, at risk of losing Tim here, I'm going to try to make sure Tim stays in his seat uh, as we turn to <laughs> the Bucks' offense. There, there's always a guy seemingly in every Super Bowl that oh, you didn't think of him, and he comes out and he's the star offensively, either a running back that has 100 yards or 
the the eighth receiver who has ten catches. In this game, it was sort of like an inverse thing where it was the return of a guy who was a superstar and had sort of become the fifth or sixth option here. And it's it's the Rob Gronkowski game in, in a way here. Six catches, 67 yards, two touchdowns for a guy that really was getting like one to two targets even, not just catches, but one to two targets in, in several games toward the end of the season. Thoughts on... Uh, on Gronkowski's game, and then Leonard Fournette, who was the other sort of maybe prototypical guy who was has not been a superstar in his, in his NFL career, had bounced around moving from Jacksonville to Tampa Bay this year, and he had an excellent game with, with 16 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown, and four receptions for 46 yards. So the Gronkowski game and the uh, the playoff Lenny, what did you guys think of the Bucks' skill players? I mean, if you look at this, and if you haven't seen these stats, let's just run through the ones that have been, if you don't, you know, if you're not addicted to Twitter like I am, and I know Jace is, and Antonio to a lesser degree, but, you know, follows all these things, obviously. Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski are the same age. <laughs> all, all the guys who scored touchdowns for Tampa Bay joined after Tom Brady and joined because Tom Brady was there, and the entire league passed on Leonard Fournette when he was cut from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um you know, kidding aside, I think this was very much a Tom was going to go to his guys thing. You know, the leaders in catches, Fournette with four, Antonio Brown with five, and Gronk with six. He was going to his dudes. Mike Evans had one catch and a BS DPI. Uh, Chris Godwin, two catches for nine yards, and, and really hasn't been that big of a factor in these playoffs outside of a couple plays. This was Tom Brady going to, I almost said just Tom, and I was about to leave the podcast there immediately. <laughs> Announce my resignation right there. I've been listen, I listened to way too much Bill Simmons uh, prepping for this show today. This was about Brady going back to his guys, the guys, the warriors that he's been in these battles with, and, you know, older heads and stuff like that. Um, and the, Gronkow- the Gronkowski thing, man, like, we should have known. We should have known. How stupid are we? Yes, he's going to go to the greatest tight end of all time and the guy who was breaking postseason records left and right with those two touchdown catches he had. I mean, we'll get to our prop bets in a second. I don't think any of us had Gronk, and it is incredibly annoying. Um, so, look, this is, this is, and this is, not, this is not an original take. People have said this, but this is almost like the NBAization of the NFL where these teams are going to ring – these players, excuse me, are going to ring chase – they're going to take lesser money to be on these teams. And if you can follow the winningest quarterback of all time to this super team that already has an incredible defense established and a coach that clearly was going to just be hands off and let the guys be the guys and Bruce Arians, I mean, he's the perfect type of coach for this. Why wouldn't you do it? I mean, Mike Evans has already said on, on Monday, uh, he said, I'm more than willing to take less money to keep this team around because they have, all of these superstars that all wanted to follow Brady to Tampa Bay, get in the warm weather, no state tax, and win, it, and win a championship. And that's exactly what they did. So, you know, I, I have, I don't have nearly as many stats for how they targeted Gronkowski compared to how they would do other guys and why Antonio Brown got more involved, other than just the straight, it was Brady trusting his dudes in the biggest moment because, especially with Gronk, that dude has come up for him time and time and time again. So I just thought it was brilliant. 
Yeah, their bromance is very clear when you uh, kind of watch some of the post-game celebrations. The guys love playing together, and I guess they played together for a long time, but they do have Gronk, a good connection. Gronk said, Gronk said I, will, I will retire if you trade me to Detroit. Just cut <laughs> me, I'll retire anyway, and then go show up in Tampa wherever Tom goes. It was a story I had like, completely forgotten about, but I, I was, you know, as happy as I guess I can be for Rob Gronkowski to come back out of retirement. He's fun, I know. You know, he tortured the Ravens for years, but he is fun. And, uh, you know, it, he he probably will go down as the greatest or top, certainly top five tight ends of all time. Uh, and so for him to come out of retirement, certainly take a, like, a lot less, um, or a reduced role, rather, um, and then still, you know, on Super Sunday, come come up with the best game of any uh Bucks receiver. They clearly must have known something with the matchup cuz I didn't realize this ahead of time either talking about props we should have seen. Uh his prior his season high uh for yardage was actually their first game. Uh the Bucks first game against the Chiefs. So clearly something about that matchup worked out well for Gronk and they executed as for Fournette, a fascinating stat from my colleague uh Nate Davis is Fournette is just the uh third player to have uh, touchdowns in uh, four different games in the postseason. Uh, position player joined Terrell Davis and Larry Fitzgerald. So, select company for uh, hashtag playoff Lenny, who probably uh, made himself some money here uh, since he's a, a free agent again, I believe, after, um, you know, just signing a short deal after passing through waivers. So, I always like, you know, stories like him where... I wasn't a huge Fournette fan at Jacksonville, obviously. He didn't have the most startling numbers. But you always, I think, like to see guys um, succeed kind of when they're given a second chance. So I was, I, it was it was cool to see him, too. And, I, I mean, he was awesome in the playoffs. He, he kind of did it all for them. So that, that was pretty cool to see, too. Last thoughts on the Super Bowl, guys, before we go over uh, how, how unsuccessful our prop bets were. Yeah, um... I'm pretty sure a defensive player is going to have to, <laughs> I don't know, perform a holy miracle on the field before they win MVP. Um, I think it's ridiculous that Brady won. And again, I didn't know until later because as soon as they took that knee and triple zeros went on, I turned it off because I was like, I'm not watching Brady celebrate. <laughs> and maybe that's why I'm not nearly as upset as Antonio is today. And there might be some other reasons for that too, I'm sure, as we'll get into to prop bets later. But I think that's ridiculous. Um, I, it's so weird because I just I think I'm so in love with this defense. I think they might be my favorite non-Ravens thing about the NFL right now. Um, I can't think of anything else that I love more than watching dominant defensive play and like just having studs. Uh, we should talk a little bit about how this affects the Ravens. This being a Ravens podcast, I know we kind of sprinkled that in. My one big thing and. We're going to, obviously, all off season. it's going to be Ravens, Ravens, Ravens heavy, so we'll get into this. I still haven't made up my mind, like when Jace was saying before, if this makes pass rusher priority number one for me. I almost go the other way, where it's, look at what they did to Mahomes, imagine what they can do to Lamar. So maybe we actually need more protection, and that's a debate we'll have. Two, I love that it's a pity party for Patrick Mahomes when he doesn't have weapons or an offensive line, but I'll leave that there. And other non-Ravens point, I should say, or no, another Ravens point, I should say here. We have the blueprint to beat the Chiefs, but now you kind of need the dudes. 
So maybe that answers my question about what I think the priority is. Because, again, Vita Vea, Andamakan Sue, Shaq Barrett, JPP, Devin White, Levante David are your front seven. Front six. Doesn't get better than that. Um, and then a non-Ravens point, finally, my final kind of Super Bowl thing in here is um, I'm finally going to say it, and it could just be a case of when there's a lot of this person, maybe you're starting to get tired of him. I was big on this commentator for a long time. I have some friends, uh, good friends, who absolutely despise him, and I am starting to get some Tony Romo fatigue. I am just a little bit done with the, oh, Jim! Um, and... <laughs> Just the kind of losing his mind at every little thing. I like the tactical breakdown stuff. I like the nerdy stuff. I have no problem. I just, I think we lost Chase. I have no problem with him, like, predicting the plays and stuff. Like, when he first got in the booth, people were having an issue with that. I love that stuff because I love the really nerdy parts of the game. But the, Jim, thing is is way too old at this point. And, um, look. I still think he's better than Phil Simms at the end of Phil Simms' run because that guy was a walking joke at that point um, in terms of doing color commentary. But I'm getting a little too much Romo in my life. So maybe it's good that <laughs> we can step back and maybe come August, September, I'll be all back in on the on the Tony train. But for now, I'm just I'm not. Yeah, I guess my final takeaway just on the MVP side of things is I agree it probably should have been, certainly should have been someone on the defense. I think the problem they ended up having uh was they were just, all too good yeah they split the vote and there has actually been dual mvps back in the early days of the super bowl they gave two cowboys defenders the super bowl mvp but they haven't liked to do that um so i don't know they could have brought back dueling mvps but the line he put up 21 for 29 201 three tds no picks i get why tom brady was the mvp um and, you know, say what you want about the guy. <laughs> Dude, can't stop winning. He's 43 years old, just won another Super Bowl. I don't get it. I don't really understand why it works or how. He's not that physically impressive. He really never has been. And then, uh, you know, there's QBs who could do, we saw the guy on the other sideline ran, as Tim said, almost 500 yards of running in that that game to just scrambling all over the place and Tom just three steps and throws and he just keeps he's won every other Super Bowl for the last five years so I, I, I don't know what's there to say about it it's 16 8 or 14 16 18 20 now so I guess in 2022 we'll be talking about 45 year old Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl again <laughs> <sighs> now I'm, that, I, see, now I I'm didn't pissed. enjoy that. I was, I, didn't, I was, I didn't like that. I didn't want. I was that. completely fine. I was completely fine, and now Still I'm got it. now I'm mad about it. No, oh, no, I'm, I'm glad we're about to move on because that's infuriating. Prop bets. Let's talk about them. Um, I will go through mine quickly it's here. We can, we, can, <laughs> we can we can go in order. Uh, I will say I'm pretty proud that my sort of write this down in ink. Get your phones out. Get your notepad out prop bet did hit it was the Clyde Edwards Alaire under 10 and a half carries he had nine carries in this game um and once boy once Tampa Bay had a lead by the second quarter I felt better and better about that prop because there was no way they were going to just start feeding Edwards Alaire multiple times in this game uh, the Brady throws an interception prop hit so I won that oh well <laughs> wait a minute 
No, they uh, they took that interception away off of a phantom call. So I didn't hit that prop um, because, as Tim said, Carl Cheffers had to exist. So lost that prop. Uh, you can imagine how annoyed I was in-game when they took that away. Uh, and then the Mike Evans, I had a Mike Evans touchdown prop as well. He had that one catch streaking over the middle, and he was seemingly heading for the pylon and then just went out of bounds at the five-yard line. So I did not get the touchdown for Mike Evans. And I also lost my game pick on this, which was Chiefs minus three. So uh, in terms of game picks, I end the season 31 and 20, um, which I will take every year for the rest of my life. So I felt pretty good about that, but only one for three uh, with my props for the Super Bowl. Tim is going to is gonna highlight it in his section, but I just want to agree with him now before uh, before he goes. With the Chiefs now being a Super Bowl losing team, Tim, I'm I'm all in, man. I'm all in for that Ravens to win the Super Bowl at 12 to 1 because now the Chiefs have to have the hangover. That's just how the NFL works. So now they're not going to be as good next year and that 12 to 1 is looking extremely spicy. It's really funny because to take people behind the curtain, you mentioned that before we started recording and I was like in my head I was like, "Wait a minute. No. Like now they're going to be pissed off. Now they're going to come back." But you're right. Every Super Bowl loser is bad the next season. Like, it's it's one of the most faultless things in the NFL. It's just death taxes and the loser of the Super Bowl not being as good every single time. And maybe Tom Brady winning Super Bowls, unfortunately. Um, so, look, if anybody can turn around that trend, it's Patrick Mahomes. But I like the positivity. Uh, yeah, so outside of that, I actually went 4-4 four and four on game pick slash prop bets. Pretty impressed by that. I didn't do a season total like Antonio did. Obviously, I won the Bucks plus three pick. I know I cheated a little bit on this one, and I just ranted and raved about how I hated it. But I said sprinkle a little money on Mahomes and Brady because one of them is going to win MVP. They're not going to give it to anybody else um, unless they legitimately walk on water on the field. Uh, so that one I won with Brady at nine to five. I lost, speaking of Brady, the over half a rushing yard from Tom Brady at plus 100. They were on the goal line. All I needed was that one yard. All I needed, if, if you listen to the Pat McAfee show, they had the Bucks quarterback coach on, and they were actually joking in the quarterback room. Brady saw that prop, and he was like, if I could, I'd put a million dollars on it, and we'd be, we'd be going for one of those sneaks at some point. So you know what, Tom? It would have been a win-win for me because it would have tarnished your reputation because you started gambling. We'd ha- we wouldn't be able to put you in the Hall of Fame like Pete Rose, and I would have won that bet. It would have been amazing, but obviously that didn't happen, and clearly he was joking. Um, to get back to the winning side, I originally wanted JPP to record a sack. I ended up going Shaq Barrett instead, and I ended up winning that with Shaq Barrett at minus 115. Thank you very much. I lost the successful two-point. I lost the missed field goal hitting the upright. I lost. Which was close, Tim. It was uh, there were some close. kicks there that were uh, in contention. Yeah, and we should mention the Chiefs punter, very bad. Uh, rookie in that situation did not play up to snuff. And guess what? When you don't have to punt that much and then the biggest game of your life, <laughs> you might start dropping the ball and shanking every single punt that you had. Speaking of punts, I did win my total punts. It was, under, or, uh, it was over 6.5 is what I ended up going with at the end. It ended up being seven, so thank the Lord for that. I just thought it was going to be a tense game because the Super Bowl always is. So I think I went over. If you listen back to the episode, because I know I was going back and forth on that. If I screwed that up, apologies. But I thought I went over. Maybe I didn't. 
whatever. It was it was seven. So again, Vegas nails the line. And the last one, Antonio ruined for me. If you don't yeah. know, I'm we got to talk about this. We, I am have, a, we have to get into it. Outside of the Ravens, <laughs> who are my first love, far and away, I also very much enjoy watching Liverpool Football Club, except recently. Um, and the prop that I had to try and tie a little bit of soccer, a little bit of what I do for a living into this podcast was more Bucks touchdowns than Liverpool plus Man City goals. Now, if you don't know, Liverpool Man City is usually a pretty tight tie. It was a, if Liverpool lost this, they're essentially out of the title race now type of game. And a lot of times it's ended nil, nil or one, one. So I'm thinking best case scenario, one, one, Hey, maybe even a one, no win for the reds up the reds. And all the Bucks have to do is get three touchdowns, two, maybe even two, and we're golden. So at halftime, it's nil-nil. Um, Man City had skied a penalty already. Neither team really looked like scoring that much. Things were going great. And Antonio Barbera decides to text the group, <laughs> looks like your prop bet is going to be fantastic. Well, Man hold City on, hold decided... Hold on, hold on. I, didn't, I did not use the future tense. I wouldn't be that, <laughs> I wouldn't be that much of a jinxer. But I think I said, like, it looks like it's going well. It looks good. Looks great. Looks fantastic. Something like that. Um, yeah, so that that was, I think, right at the start of the second half. Uh, I have the, I have the, the transcript here. Oh, hit Liverpool, me with it. Liverpool prop looking fantastic. And then, let's see, that was at 1234. At 1244, Jesus, LOL, that's on me. The rest of the second half, there were five total goals scored in the second half, and no lovely listener. Nah, it was not a win for the Reds. They ended up losing 4-1. So it was the worst of both worlds for myself, and that has, you know, full blame doesn't go to Jurgen Klopp. It doesn't go to the injuries. It doesn't go to starting two midfielders at center back, even though you're playing against the best team in the world or one of them. It goes to Antonio Barbera uh, for screwing that one up. The first goal was scored shockingly quick after I sent that. I mean, I'm like three minutes after I sent that text, uh, which was the 49th minute of the second half. And then there were goals scored in the 63rd, 73rd, 76th, and 83rd. It was a, a succession, and I feel bad. I feel bad for Liverpool fans. I feel bad for uh, for Tim. Uh, and bad for those who took that prop, because that one's, that one's on me. So send me your receipts and... Uh, and we can talk about that. <laughs> I don't have anything that exciting on my props uh, <laughs> ledger here, but uh, I, I did get the game pick, Bucks plus three. Um, I also won the Chiefs will not have a rushing touchdown because it turned out they had none touchdowns, which of course made me lose the Patrick Mahomes would throw more than two and a half touchdowns because he had no touchdowns in what was the worst game of his career statistically. Um... And I believe the first time they lost by double digits in any game that he's been the coach of, or uh, the quarterback of, rather. Uh, So, you know, that wasn't great for me. And then you mentioned it, Tim, uh, on the rushing yards. I had the Tom Brady rushing touchdown. I feel like we were a yard away from him trying that QB sneak into the end zone. I really feel they were, like, on the two, and I think if they were on the one – I kept seeing how he was leaning. I was like, oh, they're going to run. He's leaning back. He's not leaning forward, ready to just dive in. Uh, we almost got a big guy touchdown in that sequence, but alas, they never got uh, closer to the end zone, and I did not get my Tom Brady rushing touchdown. So what can you do? Prop bets. They're fun. 
they're also hard to win. So oh, Tim did Tim did okay. Um, Jace did, uh, eh, and I also did not do very well, but whatever. It's fun, and the NFL season is now over with Tom Brady lifting a Super Bowl trophy and a Super Bowl MVP because we can't have nice things. All right. <laughs> Let's, um, I, w- I want to say briefly, we will, we will be back next week um, with another episode. We'll sort of maybe do a, a Ravens retrospective, NFL retrospective, and then maybe a wish list of, of things that we want this off season, And then after that, episode we will start doing our uh, our bi-weekly episodes here as how much ravens talk can you really have once a week in the off season so we will be back next tuesday and then after that every other week i'm gonna go through these random raven clues one more time and then we're gonna get out of here so with the super bowl just being played i went for a super bowl themed random raven and this player played for the team for only one season the 2000 Super Bowl winning team. He played nine seasons before that with the New England Patriots and retired after the Ravens 2000-2001 season. He is in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame as he is a five-time Pro Bowler and two-time All-Pro with them. In the Ravens 2000 season, he had nine catches for 84 yards despite playing in all 16 games and starting nine of them. He was a backup for the Ravens and played behind an eventual Hall of Famer. And I'll add this uh, final clue in here that I was saving. When he retired, he was the fourth all-time leading receiver at tight end in NFL history. So that is my random <laughs> Raven. Tim, I, I, I wanna, I'm trying to stall to see if you need another minute or should we just go to Jace here? The only name that I have, and I don't even know if this is this guy's actual name, and I will admit I'm Googling it right now to see if he actually played for the for New England. So he did, but not, you know, complete wrong time. It's Christian Fourier. But again, he wouldn't be fourth all time in receptions at, at tight end. This, this, I'm, the fact that we had this guy and I'll say Shannon Sharp at the tight end position. Um, is remarkable, but no, I, I'm giving this one to Jace. I don't have the slightest clue. My favorite uh, part, just before Jace says the name here, is that 2,000 Ravens, two tight ends starting uh, these games. That was the starting lineup, was trotting out your five linemen, two tight ends, probably a fullback. So I don't even know if there's space for any oh, yeah, Sam receivers. Dash, baby, Sam Maybe Dash. one receiver. My, how the NFL has changed in, in 20 years. <laughs> Can't believe that team couldn't score. Um, the the player in question, I believe, is tight end Ben Coates. That is correct. Ben Coates, five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. I had no the, idea he was that good before the Ravens. I, I yeah, vaguely remembered his name. good in the 90s. Um, the only reason I think I knew him is I watched something about the 2000 Ravens and I just looked this up to double check. He actually had multiple receptions in the Super Bowl against the Giants. He had three catches against the Giants. Uh, and I believe that's why I was able to pull this name. Um, but, yeah. Um, ben Coates. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any real memories of him. This but... guy made the 1990 All-Decade team. He was ben really Coates? Him. <laughs> this is like, you talk about the the mercenary player where it just really, really works out. 
having one season left in him after playing, I mean, a, a New England Hall of Fame career, and then just getting the ring and then retiring next season after that. Well done by you, Ben Coates. I, th- I think that's the uh, the ultimate Ben Coates being fourth all time when he retires. The ultimate example of how just the evolution of the tight end, <laughs> how far we've come from Ben Coates being fourth all time. Certainly a good player in his day, but yeah, uh, I did not expect him to be that high on the all time list. Anto, right, JC, uh, four hundred ninety nine receptions, five thousand five hundred and fifty five receiving yards. That put him fourth. That put him fourth all time. So, uh, yeah, that list has certainly changed and will continue to change uh, over the next ten years. I think plus. this is like yes. the most flabbergasted Tim's ever been by a random Raven. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. This, I this, I, I don't, I don't understand this. So, <laughs> he in in 1994 he had 96 receceptions for over a thousand yards. Like, how I would that have happened with any tight end? I, I don't know if that's... This is, bad. this is bad for an audio medium, because I literally have nothing to say. I'm just, I don't know I if that's still the shocked. record, but that 94 season, I'm fairly certain Drew Bledsoe set what was, at the t- at least at the time, an all-time mark for passing attempts. That was the season he threw... Uh, he, had that, he had a game where he threw 70 passes in a game, which I think is still the NFL record um, for pass attempts, at least in a regular season game. Uh I guess they just, he threw it to Ben Coates a lot, I guess is the answer to that. So that is my random raven. I hope it wasn't too, uh, too annoying for my co-hosts and the listener out there, but I enjoyed that. He was was incredibly annoying. It was incredibly annoying. (laughs) All right. For Jay Sevens and Antonio Barbera. No, just kidding. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens and Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to us. Another NFL season in the books. We'll be back next week. It's time to look forward. It's time to look at the Ravens. Super Bowl winners for 2022. Thanks for listening to us. As always, we will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.